0: promise that for endless days forever and ever we will be at your side we'll be around the throne we get to sing your praise we get to rejoice and be all that you created us to be for endless days forever and ever and it's all because of Jesus and we praise you dear Lord in your name amen amen thank you you may be seated uh, I just want to uh, start out in, because some of you already noticed I'm wearing a new headgear today. I feel like an air traffic controller or something like that. Uh, but the, the Mike and Jason came to me before the service and they said, well, you know, your mic is not working, so you have two choices. You know, you can wear this or you can hold one. And I hate to, you know, hold something because then I can't talk. So uh, I, they said, you know, if, if you don't wear, you can wear this, you have two choices. You can wear this or you know, it can screech during the whole service, you know. And I said, well, the screech during the whole service, I mean. But I just felt kindly for you, so I'm wearing this today, all right? Uh, we are doing a study this summer on 1 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there, or if uh, you want to, you know, you just look up on the screen. The scripture, course, is going to be up on the screen for us. Uh, and we're calling it Wise Up because Paul had founded that church in Corinth, and he loved them dearly, and there were some some problems there and He writes to them about having godly wisdom and doing the things that they ought to do so uh, we 're going through the first Corinthians uh, this uh, this summer, and we come to chapter five. Now, I want to start out with this statement because it really encapsulates uh, what he 's going to write about here, and it 's this all right maybe you 've heard this before, but it is also true that Jesus hates sin but he loves sinners. Jesus hates sin. Why? The, well the same reason if you were a parent and of a toddler and you looked out your window one day and you saw your child playing in the street and you of course told him not to do that. You see that's why Jesus hates sin because he knows what it can do to us, and how it can destroy us. And, and here's what we want to talk about today. See, if we're Christ followers, okay, Christians means Christ followers, if we're Christ followers, then we, we should be doing the same thing. And that's really, really hard. <laughs> hating sin, but not hating the people who are doing it, loving them. It's so hard to do. Well, how do we do it? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because the church there, they were faced with that challenge. The Christians there were faced with that challenge, just like you are going to be also. So chapter 5, verse 1, here's what we read. Paul writes, I can hardly believe it. I am just shocked he's writing. I got a report about the sexual immorality going on right in the church, right among you. And that's, you're doing something that even the pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Now, like Jesus, (laughs) Paul loved sinners, but he certainly hated sin. He had seen it destroy people's lives. It almost destroyed his own. He had seen it destroy churches, churches he had planted. And so Paul's shocked here that, number one, this person, this man who claimed to be a Christian would be sexually immoral like this. And he's even more shocked, he says, that the church hadn't done anything about it. He says, even the pagans in Corinth don't do this. You see, the laws of the Roman Empire denounced this as incest, and they outlawed it. And and, uh, so he says, I can't believe it. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we started out, when he writes to them, when he addresses the Christians in Corinth, he reminded them that they were called to be saints, all right? And again, you know, we think of someone who's, you know, a saint, someone who's very holy but very dead, all right, well, that's not the biblical definition of a saint. It's one who is called to be holy, to live a holy life. Saints. And, and he said to the Corinthian Christians, you're saints, all right? I don't know if uh, many of you remember, but in 1980, the uh, New Orleans Saints, the football team, uh, had lost many games, several in a row, And so their fans started coming to the game wearing paper bags over their head. You know, they didn't want to be seen or uh, acknowledged as as a fan. And uh, some of them, they had written on the bag, saints, but they crossed out the S. So they were ain'ts, all right? The saints became the ain'ts. And the Christians in Corinth were acting more like ain'ts than saints. Sin does that. Sin does that. Now, what did the Corinthians do about this sexually immoral person that was in their church? Maybe even in a role of leadership or service or something. Verse 2. You are so proud of yourselves, he writes. Proud. Yeah. They were proud. They prided themselves on the fact that they were being loving instead of judgmental. That they were being open-minded instead of being legalistic. That they were enlightened instead of following some old-fashioned rules and laws. In essence, they thought that they were more loving than God, more enlightened than God. Now, have you ever observed that in humanity? Yeah. We can think that, oh, you know, what the Bible says, what God said, all that can't be. That's not, that's, that's not very nice. That's not very loving. We're, we're better than that. We're, we're more loving than God is. How proud, how arrogant we can be toward our very creator. I read this week that uh, Willie Nelson uh, once owned a golf course. And he said that the greatest thing about owning his own golf course was that he could then decide what the par on each hole would be. He pointed to one hole, and he said, see that hole over there? He said, that's the par is 47. said, yesterday I birdied it. Now, Willie could make the rules about the golf course that I think he built, all right? But friends, we can't make the rules about sexuality and marriage. We didn't create the planet. We did not create human beings. God's laws of sexuality, marriage, and everything else. You see, they're they're God's laws of love. They're necessary for, to keep the human species healthy and pure. And when we disobey those divine laws that God has given us, we defy God. But we we also destroy ourselves. And that's why God hates sin. That's why we ought to. But how do we keep ourselves when we... When we hate sin, how do we keep ourselves from not hating the people caught in it? How how do we hate sin that destroys people like Jesus did? But love people caught up in it like Jesus did. That's what we want to read about. Chapter 5, the last half of verse 2. What does he say? He said, you should be doing three things. What's the first one? He says, you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. Paul told the the Christians in Corinth, and, and he's telling us that we should mourn when there's sin. Jesus said that. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Not those who go around crying and weeping and, and sad all the time, you know, and always complaining about. He was talking about mourning over sin, our sin. We should mourn. We should, we, we should grieve. That we do those things that we know we shouldn't do. We do the things that we know grieve God and hurt others. We should mourn and refuse to go along with a world that that does not love God and does not obey God. And so when we Christians see harmful sin in others, we shouldn't be judging their sin and refuse to admit our own. That's where it starts. We need to mourn. But Paul says we should do more than mourn. And here's where it really gets difficult. Here's where it really gets challenging. He says, goes on, and you should what? Remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person. Paul writes, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already pass judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ now there's a second thing he tells us to do to judge now that does not mean that we act like a posse of pious holier than thou Christians it means we act like broken hearted brothers and sisters in Christ We don't want to condemn but we want to reach out and we want to try to restore a member of the family of God caught up in sin and and I just want to say that Paul here is going to use the word judge but I think we have a problem with the word judge I think the word judge has such negative connotations you know, I mean, about the greatest insult you could pay someone is to tell them they're judgmental, right? And I think a better English word would be discipline. Discipline. Not to condemn. The goal is to restore. And you see, this is the heart of God for us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. The Lord disciplines those he loves he disciplines Christians he disciplines his own children all right and he punishes each one who accepts him as his child did you discipline your children you did if you loved them because you wanted to protect them because you wanted to teach them from right from wrong yeah you disciplined your child. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. And I, I, I believe this has probably ev- happened to every Christian who has ever lived. We see someone who's not a Christian, not a believer, all right, and they're just doing terrible things. And we pray, God, stop them. God doesn't. And, and we wonder why God would do that. God, why don't you stop them? I, I see Christians, you know, they're undergoing this Well, why don't you stop? Well, God answers that. You see, God says in his word that one day they are going to be punished. In fact, they are going to suffer an eternal punishment if they reject his son as their savior. But for now, God's not punishing those who aren't Christians. Why? Because he doesn't want them to perish. He doesn't want them to go to a Christless eternity. He's hoping that they'll wake up and one day give their lives to Christ. That's why. But but here's the other side. When God sees one of his children caught in sin, then he disciplines. Now, again, you as parents, you did that too. Now, you saw others' children misbehaving, and, and if their parents were there, you didn't discipline them, did you? Uh, well, maybe you did. Right? Or maybe you disciplined the children. Right? Or the parents. I don't know what you did. But, but anyway, you know, you really, because they weren't your children, okay? Well, but when yours did, you disciplined them. Well, friend, God is like that. And why did you discipline your children? To spare them from the suffering that wrongdoing brings into their lives. That's why God disciplines his children. T- uh, Hebrews twelve eleven. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But what's the result? Afterward, there's a peaceful harvest of right living for those that God disciplines, his own children. It trains us in the right way. And so now in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it sounds like, you know, wait a minute, this is a loving God, you know? I mean, like, why is everything going on? What is Paul doing? He's laying out a process for what a church should do When someone, when a church member is living in sin in their in their midst, and uh, we actually call it, you know, in today's language, we call it church discipline. Now, this starts out with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gave us three steps. All right, and step one is in verse 15. It says, "If you see another believer sinning, and and he sins against you, or even if he sins, all right." Against somebody else, what do you do? Go privately, go one on one, and point out the offense. And and if that person listens and confesses, what have you done? You've worn that. You've brought that person back. You've you've restored them. But what if they don't do that? Step two. But if you're unsuccessful, take somebody else along with you—another brother or two, another sister or two in Christ—and go back again, so that what you said the first time now it's confirmed by two or three others who care about this person hey you know almost all the time if you do those first two steps man that really works but step three if the person still refuses to listen take your case to the church now, we're not going to stand up. We're not going to go around the room here today and have all of you list out somebody else's sin, all right? That's not what you do. I don't think it means you come to the church, and you know, church service and tell everybody. No. Tell, Take it to the church. You take it to the church leadership. You take it to spiritual leaders, like elders, pastors in a church. Then he writes, Jesus said, I mean, if he, he or she won't accept The church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector, one who is not a Christian, not part of the body of Christ. Now, see, what happened? The church in Corinth didn't take these steps. They weren't even upset. They were proud (laughs) that they were so loving and enlightened. So Paul's writing to them here in chapter 5 what they should do now verse 4 You should call a meeting of the church I'll be with I'll be present with you in spirit and so will the power of the Lord Jesus Then you must throw this man out of the fellowship and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Wow, I think we need to kind of go through that, don't we? (laughs) Paul's telling the church leaders, you need to call a meeting of the church membership. You need to carry out this process. And he's saying, that sinning member, that one who won't repent, they need to be removed from your fellowship. His membership ought to re- be revoked. Uh, we use the word excommunicated or disfellowshipped. And, friend, how hard is that to do? We think, well, wait a minute, is that what really we should do? But that's what it says. This is so hard. So, Paul says there in verse 4, he says, You have to do this in the power of the Lord. Don't do this in your own strength or with your own wisdom. Do it in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what are you doing? You are preserving the purity of Jesus' bride, the church. The church. And then, verse 5, this is where we really go, what? He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. What does that mean? You see, if a person's a Christian, they are under the arm of God Himself, the Lord, the psalmist, you know, uses that kind of analogy. We are under the protecting cover, protective covering or umbrella of our Heavenly Father. But what happens if we willfully step out from out of that protective covering by defying the Lord, by disobeying him, by not caring what we're doing or what he thinks about it? We've stepped out from that protective covering. See, I think that's what he's saying. I think that's what Paul means. Hey, hand him over to Satan because he's already done that himself. He's outside of the Lord's protection. And that person, he's going to suffer the physical and the spiritual consequences of his own sin if he's not going to turn from it. And the prayer is that the suffering he experiences, the consequences of that sin is going to wake him up. And it's going to bring him back. And so he's going to be saved on the day that the Lord returns because he's returned to the Lord. So what's Paul said the church would do? We mourn. We don't just accept it or get proud that we're more enlightened. We judge that sin or discipline that sin and the third step, expel. Expel the sin. Verse 6. He writes, you're boasting about this. You're about being loving or non-judgmental or enlightened. It's terrible. That's not, that's not Christian at all. It's terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of that old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. And then you and your church will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb was sacrificed for us to to do away with that sin in our lives, to deal with it. So let us celebrate the festival. We're talking about the Passover festival which commemorates uh, that Passover lamb shed but Jesus Christ is the ultimate Passover lamb. Let's celebrate the festival not with the old bread, bread of wickedness and evil but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Ban that person. Disfellowship with them. Take away their membership. Seems awfully harsh, doesn't it? Did you know you can get banned from Facebook? You can. And there are good reasons for it. Did you know God says you can get banned from church? There are good reasons for it. And in, in our finite way of thinking, we say, oh, that doesn't seem very loving and kind. But, friend, a Christian, a church member who refuses to stop sinning is like a bit of yeast. It's going to spread throughout the whole loaf. It's like a cancer that needs to be removed before the church gets sick and die. Unrepentant members should lose their membership. Maybe even be asked not to attend, especially if they're in a leadership role and they refused to repent. He goes on, verse 9. When I wrote to you before, I told you, he had actually written a letter that uh, is, is lost. Uh, there was a first letter to the Corinthians, but we don't have it, but he says, I already wrote to you once and I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, here's very important. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers. I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. And, friend, this is really huge. You see, we Christians in the church... Yeah, we should judge sin in the church, but we've got to stop judging the non-Christians not in the church. Two reasons. Number one, that's God's job. That's not ours. Our job is not to judge unbelievers. God's going to do it right. We don't. The second thing is, we're followers of Jesus. Did Jesus condemn the prostitutes? The uh, dishonest and unscrupulous tax collectors? No, he ate with them. He didn't condemn them. He didn't condemn them because he was offering them forgiveness. He didn't condemn them because he wanted to set them free. He told him to go and sin no more. He he hated sin, but he loved the sinner. And you see, we Christ followers are supposed to be like Christ. We need to reach out to sinners in love, not condemnation. We can't withdraw from the world. We're called to be salt and light in the world. And why in the world would we think we can judge people who aren't Christians because they're not acting like Christians? They can We don't judge unbelievers. That's God's job. Our job is to love them enough to try to help them get set free. But we should hold each other accountable. Verse 11. He he keeps saying it again and again. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worship idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. (laughs) Now, does that mean you can't go to McDonald's with, you know, a, a Christian? you know, who's caught up in a sin? I don't think so. In fact, I don't think that's what Paul said. In fact, see, I think if, if you have a Christian brother or sister and they're caught up in a sin, you ought to take them to McDonald's. No, you shouldn't take them to McDonald's. You should take them to Valentino's and give them a really great meal to show them how much you love them and how much you want God to work in their life. And draw them back to you. And this is, you know, there are various opinions, you know, on this. Uh, Not everybody agrees uh, uh, with this. And that's okay. You can be wrong if you like. No, I'm just, you know what I think? I think Paul, when he says don't eat with him, I think he's referring to communion. I think he's saying, If there's an unrepentant person, everybody knows it. It's a a public sin. And they won't repent. They won't stop. They shouldn't be uh, permitted to eat of the Lord's Supper. That's a high and holy privilege. You can't do that if you're willfully disobeying the Lord and His Word and bringing shame to His bride. Verse 12, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders so now if Paul if it wasn't his responsibility to judge outsiders it certainly can't be ours either right but it is your responsibility to judge those inside the the church who are sinning God will judge those on the outside but as the scriptures say you must remove the evil person from among you say it again Don't judge those outside. But do judge. Or discipline with the goal to restore someone inside your church who's sinning. And, And I just, you know, I've got to say, church discipline, it is one of the most difficult things to do. It is not easy. It is not popular. But it's really important. And if done humbly... If done prayerfully, then God can use that. Uh, is that for me? Someone's phone's going off. If you, in case you just don't hear it, all right, all right. Church discipline. Wow. Personal or corporate here. We've. We've had, we've only had to do that a, f- a few times here at, at Alliance, and I just praise God for it. But I think every church eventually is going to have to obey God in this. Uh, the times we've had to do it has been one of the most difficult things to do. But I just have to tell you, Alliance, <laughs> okay. That your elders and your governing board did it prayerfully and humbly and carefully, and I believe with all my heart that God blessed it. Now, many of you know that about ten years ago, we discovered that a um, a very loved church member had embezzled almost one hundred thousand dollars from our church over several years. We were devastated. We were in disbelief. And we were, because of how many people involved, we were divided over what should be done. There are a lot of different op- opinions. Some people wanted to prosecute, you know, to the fullest extent of the law. We called it meeting of the membership. Uh, like uh, Paul told the Corinthians to do. And, you know, some wanted uh, that person to be judged uh, very severely, so severely, in fact, that after the meeting, uh, one member said sarcastically about those who wanted severe punishment, uh, I guess they want us to cut off their head. At the other extreme, there were some members who wanted to forgive them and just let it go and and offer them another $100,000 just to show how loving we are. Well, it wasn't exactly that extreme. Okay, but close. But you can imagine, you know, 300 people and their response about what should be done. We pray. We search God's word. We humbled ourselves. Uh, We ask the congregation to forgive us for being too trusting for not being strict enough to follow all our financial policies and procedures so that it would have been caught much earlier, much sooner. We wanted to follow the steps that Jesus gave us and Paul gave us. And as we did, God gave us three goals. First, repentance. And and first, we wanted to repent of, um, you know, pride in us or again not, not being careful enough not being too trusting not following all the procedures we apologize to the congregation and of course the offenders too repentance restitution <laughs> we said this is God's money we want it all paid back all $100,000 plus interest their goal was restoration. He said to the offender, this is going to be painful, but we love you. And we're looking forward to the day. Then when we look at you, we won't think about that. Because you are in Christ. And we want to have a right relationship with you forever and ever. And God did all three of those things. God did all three of those things in an amazing way. Wow, what a surprise that God does something really, really great when we obey Him. That God does something really, really great when we're really when we're willing to do something really, really hard. So hard that we can't do it in ourselves but we have to do it in his strength and for his glory god says be doers of the word that you know he says hey don't come to church on sunday and hear a sermon and say well that was interesting and go home and don't do anything about it so what's what's application i thought of a couple things today uh... maybe god will speak to you something else but here are a couple of things in, a, in, in the form of a question is number one are you caught up in a secret sin and see I say that be a secret because you know I'm as I look out I'm not aware that any of you are doing something everybody knows about and it's bringing shame and reproach you know it's a terrible testimony in the church or in the community and it's dividing our church or anything like that but maybe it's a secret. Maybe it's a secret. Well, it's not a secret to God right now, and it won't be a secret to others forever. And God will bring it to light. That's what he says in his word. Why? So you can be set free from it. God doesn't want it to destroy you. And sin destroys our relationship. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with our family. It destroys our relationship with our, with our church, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It destroys us. That's why God said don't do it. And if you're caught up in a secret sin, you know, the longer you try to hide it, the longer you wait, the worse it'll get and harder it will be. Confess it to God. He already knows it. <laughs> He's not ready <laughs> to just destroy you for it. He already knows it. He hasn't punished you severely yet because he wants to bring you to repentance so that you won't suffer and be any, caught in it anymore. Confess it to God, but then, this is really important, You probably need, I won't say probably, you need to confess it to a brother or sister in Christ. Because we all need accountability. We all need help from people who love us. Confess it. Maybe you're not caught up in a secret sin, but the second question is, are you judgmental about those who are? And see, this is a lot harder. so easy for us to be judgmental. It's so easy because we're called to hate sin. <laughs> we're called to love sinners. We're called to hate sin. We're called to realize that the, the laws that God gave us, and here in this chapter, he's talked about the laws of sexuality and, uh, and marriage, and he's going to k- k- get back to it in chapter 6. Those laws... They're not laws to take away our fun and our pleasure. They are laws to protect us. They're God's laws of love for us personally, for our church, for our community, for the human species. Those are God's laws of love to protect us. But we don't judge unbelievers. Let's stop judging the world because our world needs to see is is our world will get deeper and deeper into sin, and especially sins about sexuality and marriage. As the world goes down that abyss, we need to do a better job as a church of helping each other turn away from sin and being destroyed by it. Let's do it. Let's do something really hard and watch God do something really great. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your unbelievable, amazing love, dear Lord, to us. Lord, if you judged us like we want you to judge others, we'd all be dead. We'd all be obliterated. Our sins are many. But the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ forgives them all because of your heart of love. And God, we need your heart of love as we deal with sin. Sin in our lives or in sin in the lives of others. And God, we want you to help us. We want to wise up, God. <laughs> we want to understand these principles that are a little hard to understand, but we want to do them because they're harder to do. And God, help us. God, we, re- we need that so much. Dear Lord, there are secret sins here this morning. In many of us, maybe all of us, I don't know. God, we want to be cleansed. God, there is a a judgmental spirit that's so easy that can rise up in us Christians. God, we want to be delivered from that. Because that will destroy us. Destroy our testimony. Destroy our outreach in the community. So God, would you come and work in us right now? Friend, just look up into the face of God and whatever he's telling you to do. You can tell him you can't, but then tell him but you're willing in the strength and power of the Lord. So Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.